it seems like right now everyone has like this magic diversity checklist, right? This happened, hire CDO, check. Okay, good. I hired a CDO and, you know, I have ERGs and I've taken a pledge, so I'm all good. That's not like, honestly, a chief diversity officer cannot own diversity within your organization. Everybody owns it and you have to know what your commitment is and what your why is and authentically how you're going to approach that. That was Smart Recruiters Chief Diversity Officer Rocky Howard on how companies are approaching diversity and inclusion today. I'm really excited about this conversation with Rocky. Last year, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, I spoke with Smart Recruiters CEO Jerome Turnick about their pledge and commitments to become an anti-racist company. And part of that was hiring this role. And so in this episode, I talked to Rocky about her role both inside and outside of Smart Recruiters, where she finds support, and so much more. So we'll get back into that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, I am really excited to sit down with the Chief Diversity Officer for Smart Recruiters, Rocky Howard. Rocky is in a, a relatively new role. We're going to get into her uh, transition to joining Smart Recruiters, uh, the work that she's doing there, and actually how her work there is actually broader than just Smart Recruiters, which we'll get into uh, over the episode. So, uh, Rocky, thanks so much for making time to come on the podcast. Uh, why don't you just start off with just a bit of a intro and background on you for the listeners? Well, Lars, first of all, I'm so excited to be here. I'm a fan, and so I'm a little bit, I'm a fangirl in a little bit. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to be here today. Um, I, like you said, I'm Rocky Howard. I'm the Chief Diversity Officer at Smart Recruiters. I came to Smart Recruiters with 30 years of experience in the recruitment industry. You name it, I've done it. Um, I've spent the last 13 years in RPO, um, and my last role was kind of leading large global teams to deliver um, operational outcomes for global clients. And within that scope, um, I certainly built a bit of a reputation for supporting our clients with their diversity hiring initiatives. I had some incredible opportunities to influence what diversity looked like within my own organization and had some incredible wins and outcomes, had been recognized for doing that work and made a couple of you know top 100 diversity executive lists, led our internal global diversity council. And... Um, when I had the opportunity to go to smart recruiters, and I know we're going to dig into the role in a bit, but um, I know Jerome has been on the podcast before. Yeah. Jerome said to me, let's go change the world together. I mean, how does a girl pass that up, right? It's a pretty compelling um, invitation. It's a pretty compelling I invitation. And, and you don't say no when someone says, let's go change the world together. So um, 
I am real. It is a new role. I'm really excited to be in it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's my, that is kind of who I am. I identify as she, her, um, I amplify those with black Christian Gen X wife and mom. And so that's who I am. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that, that overview and that framing. And, uh, you know, obviously with your background, you know, you, you've worked in recruiting, you've worked in operations, client services, you know, consulting. This is uh, in, in all of those roles, it sounds like you, you had a very heavy um, diversity focus uh, and kind of inclusion focus in terms of advising clients and uh, companies that you worked with. Uh, but, you know, this is obviously uh, your, your first time moving into like a dedicated, purely focused role around like building and, and, and the interesting element of this role, I think in your position is, you know, when, when Jerome came on the podcast uh, last year, he talked about their commitments to being an anti-racist force in the industry. And it was something that really transcended just smart recruiters, but really, uh, you know, broadening to their client uh, community and, and, and much more. So tell me a little bit about, you know, as you as you were discussing this role with Jerome, you, you mentioned the pitch he gave you, which is clearly compelling. But what, what was it about this opportunity that that made you know it was the right thing for you to do now? Yeah, that's a really easy answer for me. I love influencing talent acquisition, the talent acquisition space and the outcomes, because I truly believe that when you give someone a job, you change their lives. And so truly, if you amplify that a bit, when you um, get, when you start to impact those who are underrepresented and you start to impact the number of opportunities you, you they have, you not only change their lives, but you change the world. And I fundamentally believe that. And so, you know, to be honest, um, there's lots of chief diversity officer roles out there. And I think it's phenomenal opportunities for lots of people. I think you always have to look at um, when you want to have impact, I believe you should look at your skills and your value and where you can have the most impact. Um, the thought of walking away um, from the talent acquisition industry to focus specifically on diversity and to give that up, I don't know would have been a real option for me. Um, I've been really blessed to do what I love to do for a living. And so I think for me, the interesting part of this particular chief diversity officer role was the fact that it is a combined role. So I spend a huge portion of my time looking at and developing ways for our clients to achieve better diversity hiring outcomes. In addition to looking at smart recruiters and saying, how can we make sure that smart recruiters as an organization is a culture built on equity, inclusion, and belonging where diversity is just the expectation. Yeah. So for me, it was the combination of that work, not having to give up my love for influencing the talent acquisition space um, and my love for leadership within an organization. And Jerome gave me the opportunity to bring both of those to light. Yeah, I mean that that's fascinating, and and I'm uh, you know it's interesting that there's so many uh, over the past year you know many more organizations have kind of rethought or are in the process of rethinking and reevaluating their commitments to diversity and inclusion, and and that you know that that in that corporate kind of introspection uh, caused many of them to be hiring DEI leaders and executives, um, particularly those who had never had them before, and so 
you know, you, you mentioned kind of, uh, you know, J- Jerome's, uh, you know, the, the, the statement that he really uh, brought you in. But h- how much of your decision to join Smart Recruiters was was Jerome? And what I mean by that is, like, it's one thing to, to hire this role, um, but there are, I'm sure, some companies in the, in the, the flood to kind of bring in uh, DEI leadership. Um, you know, some companies probably weren't as as committed to the work as they were committed to the role, meaning, you know, they, they wanted right. to hire the role to be able to say, look at what we're doing. Like we're, we're hiring a uh, chief diversity officer, <laughs> but they weren't necessarily willing to invest in all of the things beyond that and, and make this structural and organizational change. And so, you know, I, I guess kind of coming back to like your, your relationship with Jerome and your, uh, your perspective on his vision for building an anti-racist force in the industry, how much of that was really kind of what, what compelled you to say, like, this is the place where I need to do this work? Well, let me, I'm going to answer that in two ways, right? So I think when you go back to 2020, and I'm no different than anyone else, um, and, and I'll, I'll just be really honest, um, on the on the back of the murder of George Floyd, when the rest of the world was like, oh my gosh, this has happened, this is horrible. Right. <laughs> and there was all of this conversation. Um, if I'm really honest, I was kind of angry about it all because it felt like at the time people were just jumping on some social media or marketing bandwagon and it just pissed me off. Right. Because as a black woman, as a, as a woman that's married to a black man, as a, a mother that's raising black children, and I am a, a, a wife and mother of four, um, I have three girls and a son, you know, these are things that have been happening in our community for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so it just felt like people were jumping on a bandwagon and I was pretty pissed off about it. Um, where I've come to um, after kind of lots of prayer and introspection, <laughs> to be quite honest, was that there is a sustained conversation in interest within certain organizations to authentically change the landscape, right? And I do think, quite frankly, that quite a bit of it was performative. Yeah. I think a lot of the roles that were hired was, it, it seems like right now everyone has like this magic diversity checklist, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, um, you know, this happened, hire CDO, check. Okay, good, I hired a CDO and, you know, I have ERGs and I've taken a pledge, so I'm all good. That's not like honestly a chief diversity officer cannot own diversity within your organization everybody owns it and you have to know what your commitment is and what your why is and authentically how you're going to approach that so now wrapping back to when when george floyd's murder happened i think from a personal level i asked myself a couple of questions right and and the question that i was asking myself is am i doing all i can Right. Yeah. Um, and 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 I'll go back to something that I said earlier. It always comes down to what's within your wheelhouse to do. I think everyone always wants to do this big bang thing. I'm not a believer in big bang. I think you change the world, you know, one action at a time. And and so the personal question I ask myself is, are my actions aligning with my desire to have impact in the world in this particular area? Um, and to be honest, um, if, if I were 
on camera and people could see, I could pull out this whole kind of um, plan that I had written that if I could do anything with the skills that I have, this is what I do. And then I kind of set it aside because I, you know, have a full-time gig and I couldn't quite wrap my head around how I was going to do it. And I had a pretty big full-time gig and I had other stuff to do um, in the midst of COVID and how that was showing up, right? And so when the opportunity came, and this is the importance of sponsorship and it's the importance of doing great work and having relationships, um, someone who I consider... Um, to to be a sponsor of mine and someone that I've worked with in the past said to me, I have a perfect job for you and um, and introduced me to Jerome. And, and so when I started to dig into what he wanted to accomplish and what his vision was and the opportunity to not only impact smart recruiters as an organization, but really to say, I want to set the standard for companies. I want to give them a framework for how to work. I want to influence the technology for which they can drive outcomes. I want to start, stop talking about intentions and I want to move to impact. I mean, I asked Jerome some pretty tough questions, right, about what he saw for the future of this and how it was embedded not only in, in his true because Jerome truly is a person who believes in this work in doing the right thing and and I think it has to lead from there ultimately this is about people and it's about doing the right thing but here's what I know for sure that's not enough I wanted to know how this was was positioned within the strategic object business objectives of the organization because that's when it these initiatives have long-term investment and sustainability and jerome gave me that confidence now that i appreciate that that insight um into kind of your your decision making process and 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 again i think that the 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 connection with impact right? Uh, especially impact at scale. And I think that's one of the things that's so unique about the role that you're in right now, given the kind of dual facets of both, you know, internal support and then external across the, the client ecosystem and even broader recruiting ecosystem. Um, that, that is, uh, it's such a unique um, way to magnify impact. And, and I guess, you know, I'm curious, like, how do you how do you manage that time, right? You know, in terms of like your, your, your internal obligations to smart recruiters. I mean, it's kind of two jobs. I mean, obviously there's there's overlap, but then there's also, you know, very, uh, you know, divergent aspects of that role. So like, how, how do you how do you manage across both of those, uh, uh, you know, expectations in terms of where you're driving outcomes? Yeah, very carefully <laughs> is the answer to that, right. right? And we can talk. I'm happy to share some of the work that I've done, you know, five months into the role. But to answer your question, um, I'm really lucky in terms of the fact that um, we we call our team members Smartians, right? And, and Smartians are really proud of the commitment that we've made as an organization to be a force of anti-racism, anti-discrimination of the market. So, so they know that we are 
better when we work together, you know, at the same time, they always know that they're top priority of mine and I'm willing to jump in and help and support their initiatives. And they're willing to do the same because they also understand that diversity can't be owned by one person. It belongs to an organization. So I guess the, the easiest way for me to answer that is it's not balanced. Like we're always (laughs) talking about, you know, like I I almost just want to throw out this whole term of balance. Like I don't balance anything. I I'm sure if you had my husband on here and you'd asked him about work life balance, all he would do would would be to laugh at you. (laughs) Um, you know, it, it, but what it is, is about saying, what are we going to do today? How are we going to move the needle forward? Where are the priorities? Who can jump in and support? I'm really supported by a great C-suite. I'm supported by a great leadership team. I'm supported by um, great Smartians who will take up pieces. You know, I'm building a team out. And it's all of those things together. And it is about planning and prioritizing, right? So if you think about, and, and so let me put this into context for you, some of the things that we've done over the last several months, because I'm sure I could give that answer and people are like, I still don't understand the question, right? Like, I still don't understand what she's done or how she's done that. Um, But for like what we did first was to say, what's our point of view as an organization? What does that look like? What do we think are the standards? We've literally written the book on hiring success. So now let's talk about what diversity hiring success looks like. And so the first thing we did, and I spent basically my first three months of in the organization very entrenched and focused on this, is that we built a diversity hiring toolkit. And, and that's free for any organization to use, right? So Lars, when you talk about impact, right, this isn't just about smart recruiters and their clients and um, how we give our clients a competitive edge. It's about how do we change the industry. So we built this diversity hiring toolkit. It contains a maturity model, four phases of what it takes to move from diversity talent aware to diversity talent ally. It's built on four key pillars of success. Each one of those key pillars has standards in it. There's a free assessment that you can take a very detailed assessment, over 100 questions. And what you get when you take that assessment is you get this robust 20-page report where you can literally go back to your desk and start to implement things that help you drive from intention to impact. That was important to us. So we've done that work. Um, And then when you think about... We're continuing to drive that work through education forums, webinars, seminars. Um, We're continuing, I spend quite a bit of my time partnering with our head of product to drive product enhancements because of course we know that um, customers that use smart recruiters tech will have better diversity hiring outcomes and we're gonna continue to evolve that and spending time with our key customers, right? So when you think about that piece of work, that's been pretty huge. On the other side of it, we've still been able to accomplish some incredible things within our own organization. So we've taken every leader through inclusive leadership training. Um, it was it was 12 hours worth of training based on Jennifer Brown's book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader. Um, as a result of that, we were able to craft our organizational diversity statement. We crafted leadership commitments so that our team members know what they can expect from us as leaders and they can hold us accountable. 
Um, we're just about to launch our first organizational-wide diversity assessment so that we can really do an objective assessment of our organization and where we are. We've taken our own um, our own hiring assessment, right? And uh, we're at a level two. And so we've, you know, obviously crafted strategically how we're going to move across that needle. We've implemented listening circles. We've established our first ERG. Um, and we're launching our diversity councils and leadership councils. So that's five months worth of work, my friend. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanna take a brief break to share a new initiative that I think you'll find helpful. Redefining HR started with this podcast and evolved into a best-selling book laying a framework for modern HR and people operations. I'm excited to share the next evolution, the Redefining HR Accelerator. The Accelerator is a full platform to build, inspire, and support the next generation of people leaders, including cohort programs, courses, open source resources, and most importantly, community. Thanks to listeners like you, Redefining HR is now broadened into a tire platform focused on building readiness for tomorrow's HR today. Learn more at redefininghr.com. And now, back to the show. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot packed into five months. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm glad, I appreciate you walking me through everything because I think it, you know, there is for, you know, companies making uh, commitments to anti-racism specifically, like that's, that's a pretty new thing, right? I think, you know, there are very few companies, maybe Ben and Jerry's and a handful of others prior to 2020 that, that had strong um, kind of ingrained commitments like that. And I think when, when Jerome made that uh, proclamation for smart recruiters last year, and you've seen other companies like, you know, CultureAmp and, and Peloton make similar commitments, um, you don't often get a, uh, an under the hood look of what that actually looks like, right? So if you're making these commitments, what are you actually doing? Like what, what is changing? How are you, how are you adjusting kind of some of the systemic um, you know, internal systems and operating programs that you have that will allow you to become an, an anti-racist organization. And so I think that that window into what you're doing over the last five months um, is is hugely helpful. And I hope you're also getting an opportunity to uh, sleep given all that you're uh, you're working on and and building there. And and I want to, you know, one question for you that I'm just I'm curious to get your perspective on. Like, obviously, the the emotional toll of the work that you're doing um, is is significant, and it's significant as as an individual. It's significant as 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 a black woman. It's significant as a as a black mother of black children. Uh, you know, this is you, you when when these events like George Floyd's murder happen, and these you know police shootings that seem to be uh, happening uh, on almost a weekly basis these days. Like these are all. Um, individually things that impact you and your family directly, but also impact a broader context of your role. And, and I'm curious, like how, how do you, how do you manage that? How do you, uh, you know, I guess in, for lack of a better word, kind of safeguard your yourself and your own well-being uh, during some of these kind of, um, you know, traumatic moments that are, that are part of your job. Yeah. I really appreciate you asking that question because I do think that um, 
people don't realize the emotional toll and tax it takes um, on underrepresented people as a whole to show up when some of these things are going on in the world. And then I think when you do this for a living, um, you have a responsibility to kind of take on the emotions of others and you're trying to drive outcomes and it, it does get to be really, really hard, right? So I think there's a couple of things for me that, that I'd like to call out. First and foremost, I'm a God girl, right? And so I think a lot of this comes down to prayer and faith and how I choose to process through those emotions, right? Um, I think I'm really, really lucky um, that again, I work in a great organization who not only recognizes I'm here to support them, but supports me equally. So, you know, how that works in real life is, you know, when the verdict was coming out, uh, I, I, I had some meetings scheduled and I will tell you with, 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 out exception, everyone that I had meetings scheduled with literally gave me a call and said, hey, look, we know the verdict is coming down. You don't want to be talking to us right now. Go, go, go do what you need to do. Mm. Um, I have a leader who will pull my coattail and say things like, you had 800 meetings on your calendar this week, and that's a little bit ridiculous. I'm going to need you to step back and take a breath and take care of yourself. Um, and, and I think there's a couple of other pieces to this. I am a big believer in taking care of mental health. Um, I'm not always good at taking care of myself physically or mentally. I have to have reminders. And, and my husband is a very strong part of that equation. So, you know, sometimes it's as simple as him reminding me, okay, you know, like literally you've been at your desk for 12 hours, go take a walk. And, and how that changes your perspective. Um, I am also not afraid to engage the help of a therapist. So one of the wonderful benefits we have at Smart Recruiters, you know, is access to therapy. And I will tell you, you know, like during um, the last couple of weeks, I've certainly scheduled a therapy session or two because there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah. we need to engage in that. And then I think not the least of it is within this diversity work you're doing. There's a ton of people who are doing the work. And so they understand it, you know, and I, I could call out a list of names and I'd be so fearful that I would forget someone and that would break my heart. But I have a wonderful circle of people who have embraced me into this world and put their arms around me and I stand on their left and their right and, and they do the same. And so there's lots of ways that we stay in touch. Um, there's weekly meetings, there's sessions that we have as leaders doing this work because we understand the toll and we're able to lean on each other. So, so there's several strategies that allow me to stay energized. And I think there's one other thing I, I'd like to say, and I, I honestly just said this to Jerome. I was devastated last year when all this happened. And, and certainly this year is turning out to be no less devastating. I think the difference is, is when you know that you're spending your time in your days um, actually advocating for making a difference, it changes how heavy that weight is on your shoulders because you know, you know that you are actively trying to be part of the solution. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate you, you know, sharing that. And I think that, um, you know, certainly the, the, the peer communities of people who are, are in your seat, right. And, and are kind of, you know, grappling with the, the duality of that role in the same way in terms of kind of processing your own 
um, individual experiences uh, w- with that of the ones that the role requires in terms of supporting the organization. So that, uh, yeah, that, that's really um, uh, good to hear that you have that that group and that kind of network that you you can lean on. Um, one of the things I, I do want to talk about as well is I know that uh, you know we we are this is this is a dueling kind of podcasting. Uh, uh, co-podcasting <laughs> conversation because you have your own podcast uh, called Voices of Diversity, uh, and and your aim in that is kind of humanizing diversity through stories. Uh, and I think it's, it's such a an interesting way to frame that. And I'm curious, like, tell me a little bit more about the podcast, but also I'd love to hear like what are some of your favorite stories when you look back at some of your your past episodes, so those, those ones that you get done recording, and the story is just you know bouncing around your head for hours and even days later. Yeah. So I will tell you, I think in the work that I do during the day, we're trying to make large scale systematic change. Right. Um, And so we're talking about the mechanisms for which we need to do that, whether it's strategy, whether it's frameworks, whether it's pledges, whether it's training, et cetera. I don't think we spend enough time talking about people. And I understood Um, Last year, I had the opportunity to lead some courageous conversations on the back of the death of George Floyd and shared some of my own experiences and the experiences that I'd had with my husband or my son. And that changed some perspectives of people that I knew. And I thought that that was a very powerful experience. And I wanted to do that on a broader scale. So I believe in multiple dimensions of diversity and telling those stories. I think when we think about diversity, it's a heart and mind issue. We've got to change hearts and minds. And there's no way, no better way to change hearts than through a story. And so, you know, when I think about uh, it's it's really interesting. Every episode I do really sits with me when I listen to it afterwards. But I'll tell you a couple that are coming top of mind, right? And a couple of things that I will never be able to shake. They leave an emotional imprint on your heart. Dr. Dave Caudell um, has Asperger's, so he sits on the autism spectrum. And so we, we're going through his, his, his episode. It is an incredible episode, but can you imagine someone saying, it was easier for me to get a PhD in physics than it was for me to learn how to have a conversation with a stranger. Yeah. I'll never forget that moment. Right. Um, we did in conjunction with smart recruiters for black history month, we did, um, four episodes with black leaders at smart recruiters and Kave Balumbo, who is our, head of EMEA TA, when we were talking to her about her experience and of what it's like to be a black woman in corporate America, she said, being a black woman in corporate America is like walking on glass, right? Mm. (laughs) It just like you hear moments, uh, you know, Brandis Sills Payne saying, we all just want to be seen, uh, You know, uh, I I just like there's so many like, honestly, there hasn't been one of these where I've gotten off and gone, oh, well, you know what? That's a filler episode or that really didn't come out. Like every single episode has one of those moments where I think if you really want to understand what it's like to walk through the world of work as someone who's underrepresented and step in somebody else's shoes, these episodes will hopefully allow you to do that. 
Yeah, well, those I, I love the way that you're leaning on stories to change hearts and minds. I think that that is such a uh, an impactful way to really contextualize and empathize with somebody else's experience other than yours, which I think is is so important, kind of at the root of this work. Um, you know, Rocky, I want to I want to shift gears with you. We've got a few minutes left, uh, and I want to use those minutes to help the listeners get to know you a little bit more. We're gonna do a little lightning round. Oh, to, let's uh, go for it. To, to dig into a little bit more about uh, what you're all about. And then uh, before we do that, just one thing to mention as well. Um, if you're listening to the show, I will include a link to Rocky's podcast in the show notes. So uh, if you're hearing that description, you're like, I need to subscribe. I'm going to make that easy for you. I'll have a link. So uh, you'll check that out. But uh, But now it's time for the lightning round. So All right, let's go. Rocky, I am... Uh, I, Peep in your Spotify playlist to see who your favorite artists are. What would I discover are your top three artists? All right. So I'm a 90s R&B girl at heart. Um, so you would find New Edition, uh, you know, the infamous Whitney Houston. Yes. Um, and then we go a little nouveau and you probably hear, see a whole lot of India Ri. All right. All right. Well, I, uh, I, I share the, uh, the Gen X trait as, uh, as you kind of described yourself opening up so I can appreciate the nineties R and B. Um, what is your least favorite HR buzzword? Oh my gosh. After 2020 furlough or right sizing. Like I, I just, I just want to run from it. Right. Uh, I mean, right sizing is it's like talking about taking like such a difficult and like traumatic thing. You tried to like put a bow on it, right? Like, Oh, we're just right sizing. Like you're firing yeah, people. No, no, no. We're right sizing. Now there's nothing right about it. Now <laughs> we have to do it, but there's nothing right about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. What is your favorite HR function? Oh, well, personally, it's payroll because I love getting my paycheck on time. Oh, all right. I see. I thought you were going to go recruiting. I was, uh, that was, I, I was not expecting payroll, but I, I get the driver there. That, uh, that makes sense. Well, to be honest, they're just the unsung heroes of the organization. You know, that's very true. That is very true. That is, uh, that is a job that uh, is probably one of the most appreciated, uh, under-the-radar appreciated functions within the business that never gets the, never gets the shine. So I'm glad you gave them some shine. For sure. Um, if you weren't in HR, what would you be doing? I'd be a digital content person or I'd be in marketing. Ah, which is interesting because I imagine you are also both of those things even in your current <laughs> role, so. <laughs> Which is how I found out that that's what I'd be doing if I wasn't recruiting, right? <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then last question for you, Rocky. Um, I would like to hear one HR practitioner who you admire and why. Oh yeah, this is an easy answer for me. Mark Eberly is the chief people officer at HelloFresh currently. I have had the pleasure of working for Mark in the past. And one of the things that I love about Mark is, first of all, he is still a people-oriented people officer. Unfortunately, all chief people officers aren't necessarily people-oriented. Um, and Mark can balance the strategic objectives from an HR perspective with having a heart for people. He also comes from a strength finder's background. So as he leads people, he leans on the ability to drive people through their strengths and not a focus on where they need to improve. I just, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Well, great. Well, Rocky, I really enjoyed the conversation with you. I appreciate you making time for this and uh, thanks so much for sharing your work and your background with all of us. Oh, Lars, it's been absolutely my pleasure. This was a ton of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. 
For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.